Welcome to Parallel Quest, a podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and share our personal stories of the impact they've had on our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe more accurately said, across the internet from me, my great friend, co-host, author, and terrorizer of all things at Grandparents' House, Zach Butler. (laughs) Heck yeah, man. How are you doing, dude? I am doing well. I'm doing very good today. The question is, how are you doing? Because, I mean, you got you got a big release that came out this week. I know, man. I'm excited. This one, I I am I might be more excited for because the first one, you know, it's it's the, the first book I ever came out with. It's I'm a new author, just kind of navigating everything now. I kind of feel like I've kind of, I, I've understand the market a little bit more. I understand a little bit more what I'm doing. I don't think I had still have like a full grasp on like everything that I'm doing. Sure. But I think that this one I'm a little more excited for because I just think the, not that the first book's a bad book. I love the first book, but I just I kind of developed characters a little more in this one so this one the second book for me has been a more exciting experience just because I kind of know what I'm doing a little more and so a lot of the things that slowed me up and made me uncertain the first time around are just clicking nice so this and to kind of spill the beans a little bit here man I am currently working on developing and creating the hard hardcover books for the first and second book in the Terra Town series. So, so that is coming out soon. Um, it's a lot harder than I thought, but I'm currently in the works of, of getting those developed. So Very nice. exciting things pumped, pumped about, uh, the, uh, second Terra Town book, something strange at grandma's house hit stores or the Kindle store on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I launched it on Saturday and been seeing some good traction with it, man. A good. lot of likes, a lot of shout outs on Facebook. Um, had a pretty good day of sales yesterday and today. So it's it's doing really nice. well right now, man. I'm nice. really excited to see what happens uh, uh, with it. Good. But yeah, yeah I want to uh, I want to talk to you here, man, about um, what's uh, what's going on with Lord of the Rings. Last okay. time that we talked, dude. Yeah. It was you were in a kind of a rough place. It's a rough spot, rough spot. So I just wanted to give the audience, I wanted to give all you guys an update that I've been trying to patch up the mistake. If you guys want to know all about the mistake, go ahead, go back to episode number forty <laughs> in the beginning stories. You'll you'll hear how I might have botched Lord of the Rings for the uh, next generation of Haggards, but I found a way to patch it up. See, I I I had forgotten. That a long time ago, because these weren't made for my demographic, I forgot that they actually made a Lord of the Rings Lego video game. Like, I, oh. I don't know, like seven years ago or something. Nice. So anyway, found it found it on Steam on sale for like $5. And I was like, oh, this, this is the way that I'm going to patch this up. Because every kid loves Legos. My kids love Legos. They love the Lego games. They love playing with Legos in real life. So, of course, I spent $5 on this game. We've been playing it together and introducing the kids to the story of Lord of the Rings in Lego format. And my son is nowhere near as scared. He's not scared at all of this. He thinks it's awesome. So we are currently patching up Lord of the Rings here in the Haggard household, and it is all good. 
That's awesome, man. That's good stuff. I'm glad you're back in a good spot. Um, I think we're dealing with some technical. Yeah, we're dealing with some technical difficulties here. Your video just went all weird. Like it. That's why. That's why I was like looking at the screen. Your video just kind of (laughs) like resized multiple times, and I was curious if it was gonna go back or or what. It's the uh, the the troubles of some of our. some of our technology, even even today, <laughs> with uh, with 5G and everything, still get lag time, yeah. man. Although I heard 5G is supposed to like cut down on latency for video. I think it's for gamers mainly, nice. but maybe we'll get some some better. Internet. I don't know much about 5G other than there are certain people out there who have advocated that it could be the end of the human race. Um, people yeah, whose, whose names, that. if you say online, you know, you get in trouble. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah you get banned if you say that here's the thing he, it's either he who shall not be named <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> it's either he who shall not be named is right and this is the end of all mankind or gamers are now able to play call of duty a little faster sure. it's yeah. it's one or the other yeah but i think those are the two extremes we're Absolutely, dealing with man in this day and age. Absolutely. And and over the last weekend, so over this past weekend, I hit I came into a new decade of life. New decade of life, so I started to think about life a little bit differently. Right. I'm now Welcome. I'm now in the 30-year-old club. The uh yeah. the club that, you know, is it, it's not that old, but in internet years, since we're making a podcast on the internet, we might as well, you know, start you know mm-hmm. start considering retirement here in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. We are internet ancients at this point. Um, oh yeah, you know, and, oh yeah. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of an interesting place to be. But it's one of those things. I don't know if you felt this way, where you know on paper you're kind of at that point in life where you're supposed to like have it all figured out, but you still feel <laughs> like you're the same as you did when you were 25, just with. A better decision making process and you know a little bit a little bit more money in the bank a little bit you know there's a little more stability for for you a few more kids sure yeah a few more kids right i had uh, at age 25 let's say i did have uh hold on did i have two i definitely had i definitely had one i had two at age 25 at the time i was 25 i had two kids um so yeah, yeah, I had two kids, and then yeah. now I've got three, yeah. and we are done. We're done, man. We got, we've got <laughs> three. Out. We've got yep. two boys and a girl. We feel like we have done, you know, our job for this world, and uh, mm-hmm. we're are, we have to go on to the next chapter and raise them right, so that you know right. they are going around being good citizens, and uh, and mm-hmm. that's what we're looking looking to do, right? So that's good yeah. stuff, man. Good stuff. So 30 years 30. old. What uh, what piece of advice from your 20s can you give all those young 20-year-olds or maybe mid-20-year-olds out there? What What's just just one thing that you could give to them now that you're on the other side of 20s? Yeah, you know, the, the tip of advice that I would give, and, and I would give this to anybody, not even just a 20s thing, but anyone who doesn't have kids thing. Like, there is this thing that you do in life when you don't have children where you just can walk out your front door get in your car and go somewhere it's it's a extremely mundane thing right like when you need to go to the gym or you need to go get to the grocery store you just you're like 
I need to go. You walk out the front door, you get in the car, you go. If I yep. need to go to yep. the gym, I need to find a sitter. I need to get the kids all dressed appropriately to either get dropped off at the sitter or to have a sitter. Uh, typically, mm. someone has some type of meltdown somewhere along the way. <laughs> and in an order just to go out and do something regular, it takes me an hour and a half of preparation. And maybe like mm. you get like an hour out of the house and then you come back and then the kids are, <laughs> e- are typically, if you send them with grandma or grandpa, you have to go mm-hmm. pick them up. Then they don't want to go home because they know as soon as they go home and they're going to have to start getting ready for bed. And it's just, it's a whole thing. So so my tip of advice is like there are things in your 20s and in your single life that you take for granted. And there's a lot of people mm-hmm. who sit around and they mm-hmm. mope like, oh man, I'm never going to meet anybody. You know, am I ever going to have kids? And there are, you know, I understand that. I understand the emotional side of it. But just remember that you get to just walk out your front door and go somewhere, right? Like like Bilbo Baggins. He could just walk out his front door and start heading <laughs> to the Lonely <laughs> Mountain. He didn't have to worry about who was going to take care of his kids, you know, how many diapers he was going to have to bring, you know, whether whether or not it was a kid-friendly environment, you know, and... Got it check in call every yeah. now and then yeah you yeah, don't have to yeah. double check the grocery cart for random items that your kids might have put in there like in you know 20 boxes yep. of hostess cupcakes that just come out of nowhere this is all these things <laughs> that you don't have to worry about that when you are in that next stage of life you do have to worry about it's fun and it's mm-hmm. adventurous but you know i was just talking about that with somebody like it is a weird thing that you know you you just mm-hmm. You get so used to the fact that, well, life's just not like that. You kind of forget what it was like when, oh, yeah, I used to just be able to go out the front door and leave. I used to just be able to yes. go places, you know? Exactly. And, yeah. and you know, you sit down, you have a meal, you have dinner, you clean up your plate, you're done. Now it's like you got food all over the kitchen. It's on the floor. It's it's in between It's in between the crevices of the table. You got children to yeah. clean up. It's, you know, it's you kind of... You, you love to eat, but you kind of dread mealtime all at the same time because it's like a lot more a lot <laughs> yeah. more cleaning than eating. It's, it's work. It's, it's still like, work, even yeah, to eat. Exactly. <laughs> so just take advantage of those things that are like mundane and boring because they very quickly become less boring, but not in all of the best ways. Um, right. But what yeah. it does teach you is it teaches you like that, hey, if you are going to do this parenting thing right – you're, you're going to have to teach your kids to be a little self-sufficient, a little independent, right? And so you start teaching those things as young as you can. And that's when you start to have, like, the true successes as a parent is when you start to see your kids actually do the things you've told them to do a million times. It takes a long time. Uh, you know, my oldest is six, and he's just starting to get to that point where it's like, oh, you know, the things you say over and over and over and over again that they should be doing. And finally, he's just kind of yeah. starting to do it on his own. Yeah. So, so those are the good marks and successes. But, yeah, that's what I would say. Just enjoy the fact that, you, you know, life's a little mundane. You can go out with your friends, right? You can yeah. call up your buddies. You can call up your girls. Be like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? You all get together. You all go out. And you can stay mm-hmm. up late and sleep mm-hmm. in and just enjoy that because it goes away like enjoy that. Enjoy it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything becomes work, man. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's great, man. That's good advice. Yeah. That's The listeners, take that to heart for those who don't have kids. Enjoy it now. For those who do have kids, I'm sure you guys all sympathize with Cody and what it's like to sit down and 
clean your dinner out of the cracks in your table. Yeah, it's you know that 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 isn't as bad these days anymore. You know, my kids are getting a little older, but mm-hmm. around like one and a half, two, when they're kind of just learning how to do that stuff on their own. Oh man, dude. Yeah, you gotta like <laughs> lay down the mats on the floor and oh jeez. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. you kind of you kind of prepare uh, for so that cleanup's a little easier. But so tell me about this meditation. Mm, you have mm. been starting to meditate, um, trying to channel your inner chi. Yeah. I don't know if uh, if you're actually doing that, but tell me about your meditation process, man. What is what's what's the yeah. purpose behind it, and how are you going about it? So, yeah, the the purpose behind it really is. I, it's kind of always been an interest of mine. So I'll just start there. Like I, I like to read and every time I read a nonfiction book or I read an article about some successful businessman, or I read, um, something by Tim Ferriss who he's, he's interviews tons of successful people. And so every time I learn something about someone of that caliber, meditation is usually somehow worked into their daily routine. And it's not so much the like woo wooey, like real home kind of meditation, but just like a moment of reflection and of conscious thought and, and just being aware. And so what kind of put me over the edge, cause I've always been interested and I've always been like, man, that's such a cool thing. I would like to just, you know, try it. But what kind of put me over the edge was my brother-in-law had downloaded an app. Um, we don't, we're not endorsed by this app, but I'll say it anyways because I think it's a great app. Is the Waking Up app with Sam Harris, and he was telling me about it. He's like, it changed my life. Like it just, it makes me more conscious. It kind of lowers the times that I would be upset at something. It kind of lowers the temperature on those situations, like I'm more aware of my emotions, all good things that I think people in business or just in life, I mean, even even if you have kids, just kind of being aware of like, this is how I'm sounding or this is my emotion in this moment are all good things. And so I downloaded the app and I've, I'm on day, I haven't done it consistently, so I'm not the best meditator, but I'm on day like four or five yeah. right now. And I got to say, man, like I look forward to it. I look forward to it in the morning. I've been trying to get up really early in the morning, too, so I can go to the gym. So I'll wake up at 6.15, 6.30, somewhere around there. And I want to do my meditation first, and then I go to the gym. Now, sometimes, the, the two of the times that I did the meditation, I was like half falling asleep because it's 6.30 in the morning. And I am I know for you, that's like, hey, I've been up for three hours and <laughs> Not like quite my that, morning's man. already going. <laughs> but for me, I'm like, I am meditation feels like just barely staying awake. But I gotta say, man, that the the breathing exercises, the conscious thought, because what I like about the app, which I think I've I've had bad experiences with meditation on like YouTube, because okay. they'll put this real like tonal music in the background you hear like and then someone will like talk the whole time think about your breathing ignore (laughs) everything else that's going on in the world except my voice and you're just like i can't not think about your voice and the music playing like it's just so distracting like the two or three 
meditation things I've done on YouTube. But what I like about this one is it's silent. Sam Harris will come on. He'll tell you something. Just like, like think about your breathing. And then he'll get out of the way for like 45 seconds. Like it'll just be quiet. And then he'll come back in and tell you a little bit more. And then he'll get out of the way again. And it's just, I like it because it's actually about the, just the conscious thought of the moment. And so I've, I've been loving it. I don't know if I'm seeing amazing benefits yet because I've only done it five times and not consistently whatsoever, but I would highly recommend some form of just a a quiet moment in your life, man. I mean, we were kind of talking about earlier, just Mm -hmm. like it's when you're single and like stuff can kind of be mundane, like find a moment in your life that you can take 10 minutes. That's I mean, that's the other thing I love about this. It's not even that long. It's not like you're sitting there for 30, 45 minutes, like just breathing. Right. You're there for 10 minutes. It's quick. It's conscious. And then you're you're on with your day. Mm -hmm. And I like that. It's not like it's not like, okay, oh, and like trying to be something more than just a conscious moment of like, I'm here, I am breathing, I'm feeling things, I'm thinking about just this moment. And I think we can all kind of benefit from that, man. Like, just to slow down for a second and just really kind of think about, like, I am just alive, even. And I know I'm kind of sounding super hippie right now, but and I think it's kind of hard to talk about meditation with not getting a little, like, towards that. But it is really relaxing, and I think throughout your day you just notice you 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 think about your meditation and then you like you'll be driving in the car for example today just driving in the car on my way to work i just kind of took note of just my street mm-hmm. I, like there were some things i was like i never even saw that before just because you kind of get in that daily routine of i turn on the radio or i turn on a podcast hopefully it's parallel quest and you, you drive so you drive to work and you just you get in your own thoughts. You think about the day. You think about the weekend already, even though it's Monday. And you, you think about, oh, I got to do this on Thursday. And then you kind of just get lost in your week. Yeah. Where meditation just kind of says, hey, just notice even the power lines along the street. Notice how, like, the snow just sits on the yards. Like, just notice things. Just kind of be in that moment and really just kind of appreciate the fact that you're conscious in that moment. And for me, that's, that's really great. Just, it makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it is for everybody else, but I would highly recommend it. I, I will hopefully report back, uh, again, sometime later on this podcast of how it's been going for me for the long term. But I would say the initial benefits, man, um, are pretty awesome. Yeah. Like I, I, I really like being more conscious of my day. I don't know if you've tried anything like that, but um, I think it's I think it's been helping me. I I've never done really any focused meditation in my day to day life. You know, I've been mm-hmm. on I've been on retreats and I've done like wilderness trips where I've taken hours to just get away. And that's always awesome. Yeah. You know, just kind mm-hmm. of going somewhere and sitting in silence, especially in nature. 
Um, yeah. For me, there's something about going out in the middle of the woods somewhere, maybe like climbing up on a tree. Now, this is sounding kind of super hippie too, right? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just, just sitting there and just being in nature isolated, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. whether you get an epiphany out of it or not, the thing that's always beneficial is you just feel like you got out all the stress, you got out all of the nasty and you know also I'm a guy I, I'm a I'm a praying guy, right? So so I also <laughs> pray uh, in those moments and you yeah. know those are those are opportunities that I feel like unless you make an effort for it, you're not just given. You're just not just given opportunities. Be like, oh yeah, you know, just just go take some time and quiet and silence. Work doesn't like be like, hey, you know what? You need to take five hours a month and just, <laughs> yeah. you know, during on our time, just you know, just sit. get out and sit. Go somewhere quiet. Like unless you yeah. make the time, you invest the time, you invest the effort. That's the only way it can happen. And I know that I am, mm-hmm. I am the stereotypical max out my schedule, go a hundred miles an hour, a hundred percent of the time, all the time. And I know it's not good, but it's just what I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, those are moments I cherish and look forward to, and I should probably do more. Uh, so yeah, mm. thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that. So yeah, when you do meditation, is it kind of focused on just getting out of the noise? Like, do you ever, is the approach ever like contemplating maybe, like you said, reading something you read, just sitting and thinking about it, like not just moving on to the next thing, but, or is it more focused on just like everything internally, just kind of block it out? Yeah, I think, so for right now, I'm on like the beginner course. There's a Mm -hmm. bunch of courses on this app, really cool. So I think probably some of them, you can go different directions with it. But for right now, it's just concentrate on your breathing and try and just limit the noise that's going on all the way, like all around you all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think, so actually, so he had me or the listener, um, try and count your breaths. Like if you ever just try and sit down and just count to 10 breaths, like, unless you have incredible concentration by breath five, you're probably thinking about something else or you're thinking about the fact that you're thinking about breathing. Like you're just like, you find your mind start to wander off into something else. And I, it happens all the time when I'm doing it. Like I'm not good at like just the concentrate, clear your mind kind of thing because then I'm sitting there and I'll go, huh? Like, I wonder, I wonder if I put air in my tire like I forgot to do that. And then like, I'll start thinking about that. And I'm like, Oh wait, wait, I got to come back to like, just yeah, breathing. I got you. So for right now, I think he's just in the beginning teaching you how to, how noisy your, your mind is all the yeah. time. Like unconscious just thought is happening. Um, stimulation is happening that you don't even really recognize until you stop and really think about it. So for right now, yeah, this, the meditation is just, just, clear your try and clear your mind just try and sit and just be conscious of the breath in the moment which mm-hmm. i mean i know we're sounding like ultra hippies right now but it's okay we're, we're there <laughs> i'm going into it hey I, I just thought of a funny story about meditation um 
which is kind of taking us in like a more funny direction than a serious direction. <laughs> but meditation really did help me out at one point in my life. So when I was, uh, this would be 2012. 2012. So this was a couple months before I got married. So my oldest brother and I got married within like five weeks of each other. So my oldest brother had a destination wedding down in the Outer Banks. And it was nice. It was beautiful. It was one of those houses where you have to drive the four-wheel drive cars on the beach in order to be able to stay on the place. So it was cool. Really nice. Really cool. Mm -hmm. Great weekend. And uh, I did not have as great of a time as I could have had. And here's why. It was the first full day we were there. And, you know, you're in... I yeah, For those of you who don't know, Zach and I are northerners, right? Cleveland native. Zach, you live in Pittsburgh now. Yep. And so when we get onto a beach, man, it is just like... <laughs> it's like a kid in a candy store, right? Like, these are things that we're not used to. So you're excited. It's beach day, you know, running down to the beach and you're just like throwing your clothes off. You got the swims. You're just excited to be down there and out there on a beautiful sunny day. And let me tell you, in the Outer Banks in May, the sun is a lot different than Ohio in May. And, and, And so anyway, and I was coming from Chicago, actually. So I'm there, my fiance, who's now my wife, is there, my whole family's there, and we're just having a good time on a beach, and um, I missed the sunscreen memo, you know, like like all of us, all of us pasty white folks, you get like the sunscreen, you know, uh, yeah. assembly line, right? And it's like, all right, do the back, turn, and the, you know, you know how it goes, like <laughs> yeah. everyone helps yeah, yeah. each other out a little bit, and, uh, and so... The I miss I miss the call. And so I'm out there just throwing the frisbee on the beach, going in the ocean, having a grand old time, man. I've been out there probably solid like two and a half hours. And then, you know, just decide to head back in, get some food. And the looks on like my mom's face, my dad's face, the family's face when I get back, they're like, Cody, you are beat yeah. red. be red like I was the worst sunburn I've ever had now I was fortunate enough it didn't turn into like sun poisoning I didn't get the boils or anything like that but it was really uncomfortable let me tell you uh it was to the point of where the first night I just couldn't sleep and I had everything humanly possible you could think to put on your body on a body trying to treat the sun the sunburn (laughs) Putting the aloe on. Some people said try Neosporin. So I just like every everything you could buy for sunburn treatment. I had it on. You know I'm, mm-hmm. I, you know I'm I'm like walking slime. That's how much gunk I had on me. <laughs> right, right. Well, nothing was causing any type of long term relief. And my brother, not my brother who was getting married, but my other brother, uh, had been doing some meditation stuff. And he was like, Hey, why don't you why don't you try this? And so he was going through some breathing exercises with me and just some stuff to, like, try and chill out. And I kid you not, because of meditation and breathing exercises, I was actually able to fall asleep at night with this scorching sunburn. So even, like, some of this meditation can get you to ignore even the most uncomfortable of pains. And I can say that from firsthand experience. And uh, (laughs) I am no... 
I am no foreigner to pain. I have experienced lots of pain in my life, but that sunburn yeah. was that was up there with the discomfort. Because <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, like it's your skin, so everything that touches yeah. it, it's just like it's oh, like pulsing know? too. Yeah. You just feel hot, and yeah. it's just like, dude, I get it, man. Like as an abnormally pale person, like to the point where my wife will make fun of me for how pale I look. Like, <laughs> you have very fair skin. Like, ghosts, man. <laughs> like, I am Scandinavian. I am not from a part of the world that sees the sun very much. And we are very fair-skinned people. So, like, the even a cloudy day, there's a chance <laughs> of sunburn. <laughs> so, hey, man. You got yeah, it is. Uh, it's tough. It's a, it's the burden I carry through life, but I I get it, man. The sunburn. I nine times out of ten when I go out on vacation, <laughs> I will get horrible sunburn. No matter how much, like short of wearing body armor, like I will doesn't matter how much sunscreen I put on, I will be beat red, man. Oh, like man. I will be angry red. Oh <laughs> Just, man, that's brutal. it'll be it'll be rough man so i but hey i mean if i ever am in your position with my sunburn which i'm sure i will be again in my life i will meditation. have to remember yeah. some meditation for that for that time yeah and just avoid the equator and just to, yeah just yeah. stay away <laughs> from that part of the world exactly uh all right everybody at this point in the show we are going to go over our steel lake studio news which we actually have some pretty exciting news coming from the department of the one and only zach butler he has a very exciting announcement to share we talked about it a little bit at the top of this podcast but zach why don't you share with everybody an exciting tidbit in your life and in steel lake studios life right now yeah so something strange at grandma's house the second book in the terror town series there it is on the screen if you are on youtube love it man the second book came out on saturday so be sure to go pick it up at the amazon bookstore the kindle bookstore um that is to get it right now as i said at the top of the show i'm looking to get paperbacks or hardbacks done um, it's taking a little bit because I got to learn a bunch of stuff. So that's always fun. I'm learning. I love to learn. But part of me wishes it was a little easier so I could get this out to you guys. Um, I, this has been a great journey. I loved writing this book. And I wanted to give just the back cover, the the little blurb um, for those who haven't seen it or just want it or hearing for the first time that this book is out. I'm just going to read a little bit here from the back cover. So <clears throat> something strange at grandma's house. Something sinister lurks in the back room of Grandma's house, and it's hungry. It's the worst weekend imaginable for Jessica Bird. While her parents go on vacation, they leave Jessica at her Grandma Salem's house. With no phone, no friends, and the dullest grandma in the world as company, Jessica prepares to spend the weekend going insane with boredom. Then, she sees the boy standing in the window of her room. Jessica soon discovers that something is not right in Oakville Creek. Her grandma is nothing like she remembered. And why are most of the house, houses around left abandoned? Why does Grandma Salem have so many dolls? And do they move when no one's looking? And why is there a strange green light coming from the back room at Grandma's house? 
Jessica is in a weekend, in for a weekend she'll never forget. Brave reader, open the next chapter in the Terror Town series and see why there's something strange at Grandma's house. So check it out. It is a it's a quick read. Um, it is for eight to twelve year olds. So we're looking. It's still middle grade as I, as the other one was. Um, but it's a great read, fun. It's got a lot of humor in it. Um, so go check out Something Strange at Grandma's House. Awesome. That is all I've got for today, man. Awesome. Well, that's really exciting news, and hopefully everyone can get a chance to head over to SteelAgeStudio.com. Check out Something Strange at Grandma's House. You can get it available on Amazon. But head over to SteelAgeStudio.com slash books, and you'll be able to see both Terror Town books there on our page uh, or just right on the homepage, SteelAgeStudio.com. And we will provide you with all the links over there. We're super excited about it. We thank everyone who has gone out and gotten it already. Uh, thank you guys for the support. You guys are awesome. Zach, if someone were to ask, can I read Something Strange at Grandma's House if I haven't read Nightmare at the Fair? Your answer would be? Absolutely. That is a good question, man. Yes, this series that I am writing right now, which I don't know how many books it's going to be, but got a few planned out, but it is not in chronological order. Okay. So you can read any book at any time once they're eventually all out, and you will still be able to follow along. Now, I will say, if you do read them in order, you will find that there are little Easter eggs here and there from previous books or there are hints at what maybe the next book is going to be. So I try and leave little little hints around the books, um, kind of trying to connect it all, because it all does take place in the same town, Oakville Creek. So I like trying to connect them in certain ways. So you do benefit from reading them all, um, but if you were just to hey, say, hey, that's an interesting title, I'm going to go pick up that book, you'll be able to read that as a self-contained story. But you will get benefits from reading all of them. All right, everybody, at this point, we are going to be moving into our main topic for today. And in today's main topic, we are talking about a book and movie uh, conceptualized by a man named Ernest Cline. He's the author of the book. And the movie was done by Steven Spielberg, I believe. And mm -hmm. it is called Ready Player One. This was a big hit a few years ago in the film scene. And then a few years previous to that, it was a smashing success of a book. And today we have decided to talk about it because we have been talking about video games here recently on Parallel Quest. As well as this is probably one of the best movies slash books that have to deal with the concept of gaming. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would say it's the best. I haven't seen that many that are good or great, but, but it's definitely one of the better ones, especially in recent memory. And as, as Ready Player One is, what I, one thing I want to say about it is that if you have not read the book and you have seen the movie... I would encourage you, if you liked the movie, you'd probably like the book. Mm -hmm. um, the book is a lot more focused on 80s pop culture than the movie. The movie definitely is focused on 80s pop culture, no doubt. Like they, they definitely do. But the book focuses a lot more on it. And, and there's a lot of really cool interweaving of, 
uh, nostalgia and storytelling and this basically what would you call it like a kind of like a a mystery treasure quest type of story yeah um, yeah i mean it's know. yeah it's a it is it's a treasure hunt type of novel i would say yeah that's t- yeah. heavily drenched in 80s pop culture yeah. um the way that i describe it to people is i mean it's it's ernest klein's love letter to the 80s mm-hmm. um yeah he's the nerd he's the king nerd the nerd of mm-hmm. nerds sure um he wanted to write a book about his childhood or the years that really formed the kind of person he was and you got to give it you got to give the guy some credit like he chose an era and I will always I'll, I'll argue that the 80s is one of the most culture shaping eras that we've I think ever had because we've mm-hmm. had especially for gaming and for like leisure nerd leisure especially but I think a lot of things came out in the 80s that um, were huge successes, uh, whether it was like movies like Back to the Future or, um, I mean, Steven Spielberg got his start in the 80s, essentially. He just crushed yeah. it. So, I mean, the, he he influenced a lot of people like Ernest Cline with his movies. And then Dungeons and Dragons came out in the 80s, which was just massive for nerd culture. Yeah. And then you have... Um, like video games starting to come out that aren't necessarily like the N64 era that the 90s kids remember, but yeah. they're they've moved from arcades slowly into your house. So yeah. you have that whole transition. A lot's happening in tech. <clears throat> and so Ernest Klein was obviously very heavily influenced by this. So when you read the book, you are essentially reading his childhood. Um yeah. it, I always pictured the 80s um just as like how what's the stranger things how they portray the 80s i mean it takes place in the 80s in the in there but in that show but that those kids i i always pictured ernest klein like those kids just yeah dorky kids that love this pop culture stuff yeah and so what we're going to do is we're going to go through our our normal list of things. We'll do a little bit about history and kind of how the book came to be. And then we'll go through a small plot synopsis, maybe point out some differences between the book and the film, because there's actually a lot of differences. Um, I remember I put off seeing the movie until I read the book. And then mm. I just remember being so surprised how I really felt like I read a, I watched a movie that was definitely influenced by the book, but it felt very different um, in a lot of ways mm. um, for, for, for better and for worse at points. But <laughs> the, uh, so we'll go through and we'll do that. We'll share our initial impact and lasting appeal as well. And of course I will work in another jab at ready player too. So yes. let's <laughs> let's start. Zach, what do you know about a little what what history do you know of this? Do you know of anything about when Ernest Klein started writing this? So I know he started writing this. There was a short story that had come out at some point. I think it was by 
Oh man, I can't remember. But he was influenced by something that that kind of pushed him to write this. Um, it's a book that was published in 2011. Um, it was a science fiction novel, um, heavily science fiction novel. Um, and it was his debut novel. Mm -hmm. So this was the first book that Ernest Klein ever wrote. I mean, what a book to kick your career off with because everyone was talking about this book when it came out. Um, I was, let's see, what year was I? I was a sophomore going into my junior year, mm -hmm. I believe when this book came out. So I distinctly remember it coming out, being interested in it, but didn't want to buy it. Um, but this quickly became on everyone's like to read list. Yeah. Uh, it was talked about um, a lot. It's uh, it's a book that, as I said before, is Ernest Klein's love letter to the 80s. It is described as Willy Wonka meets the Matrix, mm -hmm. which to me is like the perfect description of it. Um, but for you, dude, what did you know about Ready Player One before seeing it or reading it? Because, I mean, it was talked about everywhere. So I'm, I'm curious as to what you knew about it before it, it came out. Yeah, I really didn't know anything about it until it was going to be made into a movie. So I hadn't mm. heard about it. I See, for me, I don't follow a lot of... I don't follow a lot of science fiction, like, new stuff. Like, if I, okay. if I hear about something from a friend, like, you tell me something... Or another buddy of mine, my uh, Dragonlance buddy, uh, if he tells me about something in the world of science fiction or fantasy, I kind of take those recommendations um, with a lot of weight. Because if I hear something's good from one of you guys, I know that I'll probably like it. And yeah. so I don't follow a lot of popular science fiction, but I know that this was more popular than just in science fiction i know it kind of broke into more pop fiction and mm -hmm. so i remember hearing about the movie and you know of course in the trailer they say based on based on the book and so immediately i was attracted to the film because i was like oh this seems pretty cool it's a cool concept so i looked up the book and started doing a little bit of research on the book and decided, you know, that I was going to pick it up. And I'll get into the story about me picking it up when we do our initial impact. But basically it was seeing a film trailer is how I first found out about it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people either got on the train early with the book coming out in 2011 or when Steven Spielberg directed and then it was released in, I think, like 2018. Mm -hmm. um, that's when a lot everyone kind of jumped on board and this i mean for ernest klein to write his debut novel and then it get picked up and made into a movie by the one and only steven spielberg yeah right like that is a pretty good start to your career in in hollywood or just yeah, in, right. in the in stardom in general yeah. yeah so he uh yeah so he published this and to be honest man there's not too much history because it's only nine or ten years old so it's it's had a sequel already which i know you're you have some opinions on sure do. but yeah. it's our it's one of those books that like it came out it it was a huge hit um the interesting thing though when it came out was the critical reception man because i think a lot of people enjoyed the story mm-hmm in the sense of they enjoyed the references. 
So I think when people think of Ready Player One, they think of the 80s references. They Because he's name dropping all over the place in the book. He's talking about movies that he saw. He actually dropped Galaxy Quest, which I'd never seen, but he talked about it so much in the book that I was like, I got to watch this movie. And so I found myself watching movies and like reading things that he was referencing. So he kind of got me back into Mm -hmm. 80s culture, which I I really like 80s stuff. Um, I'm not as big a fan as Ernest Cline, but um, so when it came out, though, either people, critics either loved it and were like, this is a great story. Like this is the the geekiest i think they loved it for its geekiness they loved it for its nerdiness it's it's got a heart yeah. it's got a a very cliche and predictable heart but it's got a heart people love stories that have that in it but on the flip side man and this is the this is kind of the thing that hangs over ready player 1 is that it some critics were saying this is just not good like it's not good writing um Ernest Klein for those of you who have taken a writing class did not follow any of the rules that the writing teachers probably would have told him he does a lot of telling instead of showing he will skip around a lot and you'll kind of get kind of a little confused as to where he is in his story because he doesn't really take time to describe things unless it's in reference to an 80s show or an 80s video game that he knows a lot about um he has very cliche characters i mean these are all critics or criticisms about it from the critics so the in when you read the book you kind of kind of understand where they're coming from and i know you read it so i don't know did you feel the same way when you read it because you read it later on after so i read it before the critics kind of got at yeah so I had one opinion of it, and then I read about what people were saying, and then it, I'm not going to lie, it kind of changed my opinion on it. So I'm curious as to hear what you you have to say. Yeah, because of the time investment that it takes to read a book, I never read a critic's review before reading it myself. Never, never. It, with a movie, it's different. A movie you can watch in a couple hours. Like... A book you have to invest a significant amount of time into, especially, you know, Ready Player One's not really a short book. It's not a long book, but but it's definitely like it's going to take you a couple days if you're a slower reader, a couple weeks to read. And the, the critics with stuff like that, I never read. For, for me as a reader, this was my opinion. Um. Mm-hmm. From a literary standpoint, do I think a literary critic would like it? No. No, I don't. Um, because the writing style is, like you said, more telling than showing. Um, and, and I would argue that the show-don't-tell style of writing is not always necessary. I don't think you would have the same <laughs> charm if Ernest Klein tried to always show and not tell in Ready Player One, I think a lot of the charm of the writing style was actually in the telling, right? In mm. in exploring the deep well of Wade Watts's knowledge of '80s culture, right? Like that, because we all know somebody who's like that, who has the that encyclopedia mm-hmm. type of brain, and you know, I think a lot of that is done through telling, and I think that 
Um, mm. You know, that's why I think the movie actually, for me, felt a lot weaker because um, in a movie you have to show. If you're telling mm. in a movie, it's like, well, at this point, why don't I just read the book, right? You know, if you're doing long yeah. exposition and you're not letting the visuals carry the story... And I mm -hmm. thought for the source material, I thought that the film adapted that movie, uh, adapted that book phenomenally. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, um, I actually thought that it was it was fun. That was my takeaway. And mm -hmm. my takeaway from it was the target audience in the reader was not a literary critic. Um, in fact, mm -hmm. it was a nostalgia trip. And I think that a lot of people who would like Ready Player One are people who don't read a lot of books um, because it engages in pop culture that a lot of people are familiar with while educating you on the culture in things that you probably didn't know. Or maybe some people knew and you get that reward of like, oh, I knew that too, right? If you were like 80s obsessed, like Ernest mm. Klein or the characters in the book, you kind of get that that rush of like, oh yeah, yeah, I knew that. And, yeah. and, or I remember this and the book. And that's why I, that's why I have a problem with literary critics in general, because their criticisms are based in more of an academic realm than they are in a mm. consumer realm. And at the end of the day, it's, it's people, regular everyday people who buy books, not, you know, academics right. because they have to, but at the same time, if a publisher is going to be successful, it is because consumers buy them, not critics. Yeah. And so so that's where I think book critics, sometimes literary critics, because it is more of an academic, people look at it more academically. But at the end of the day, like it's pop fiction, guys. Like like that's mm -hmm. that's what it is. We are not we are not going through the dissertation of Ernest Klein on his theories of how 80s pop culture affects the human brain for the next millennia. Right. We're right. reading a, a story. Um, and for that, I think it's fun. It's a fun story. It's a good time. It's pretty funny at points. And the bad writing is actually more charming, uh, than it is frustrating. I will say that. Yeah. No, it's like having a, uh, like a dungeon master tell you a story like at your D and D yeah. game where it's sure. like, yeah, like he's going to give you the good stuff, the stuff that you want to hear. He's going to be funny. He's not going to try and be, you know, Ernest Hemingway when mm -hmm. he's he's writing. Um, no, I think that's very, very apt. Your what you thought, because it, it my opinion changed a little bit. I'll be honest when I read the critics opinions on it, um, because I thought when I finished it, I was like, this was good. Um, but actually, hold on. I should probably give like the brief synops synopsis here real quick for everyone who hasn't yeah, read this sure. or yeah. seen it, they're like, what the heck are they talking about? So it's a, like we said, a, a pop science fiction novel set in 2045. It's a dystopian world. Uh, people live in these basically stacked like housing units everywhere. The world trailers. outside. They're trailers. trailers. Yeah, these <laughs> trailers are just rough. And the world outside is just there's nothing there for them. So they spend their time, those who can afford it, they spend their time in this virtual reality, which I cannot remember for the life of me what the thing is called. The Oasis. The Oasis, yes. Yeah. So it's virtual reality. So 
the main character, Wade Watts, which is a great name. I really love <laughs> what he did there. Um, Wade Watts, he is, like we said, an 80s pop culture just genius. He's a guru. He knows it all. He's got an encyclopedia knowledge of everything happening in the 80s. And so he spends his time just – it's like World of Warcraft for him. He just spends his time online um, just – kicking it with his friends. And one day, the creator of the Oasis dies. And in Willy Wonka fashion, he leaves a trail of Easter eggs worldwide all over the Oasis. And for those who are able to figure out the riddles and follow the clues he left behind in this virtual reality uh, video game, he will relinquish and give his inheritance to that person. And this guy is a like the, you know, the Elon Musk of of his time and the richest man in the world to be this guy or to inherit this would change your life forever. And so all the gamers all over the world go after these Easter eggs. And so the story is about Wade and his friends slowly piecing stuff together. And we find out that all the Easter eggs have some reference to the 80s. So naturally, Wade Watts is kind of in a good spot. Mm-hmm. So it tests his knowledge and it tests just his his app like his just acumen of the 80s um, all the way to the end of the book. And I'm not going to ruin the end because it's 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 kind of what you think, but it's not at the same time. Um, it's it's a good book. Um in that sense, the story is fun. It's engaging. It really pulls you along. And like you said, Cody, if you're a fan of like, just, you know, I want a fun story. This is the book for you. So, so that is a brief synopsis of the book. Um, so what I was going to say though, is that I think you're right. I, I wish like a Goodreads or something would have the critics review Kind of how they do on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. They have what the critics think and then what the audience thinks. Because I really think this is one of those books that the critic score would be the little green splurge thing or whatever that's like, this is terrible. It smells, it's a dumpster fire. Because I think a lot of, like what you said, literary critics were like, this is not a good book. But I think the audience would be one of those where it is up in the 90s because... It is a book like I think Ernest Klein wrote this book knowing his audience in mind. He's like, nerds are going to love this. Like people that enjoy video games are going to love this. Mm -hmm. Like he knew his audience. He knew who he was writing for. He knew they didn't want flowery, flowery like language. They didn't want super in-depth characters like they just wanted a fun story. And so I think he wrote for his audience and he was rewarded for it, man. He received an Alex Award from the Young Adult Library uh, Service Association. Um, he won a 2011 like Prometheus Award. So, I mean, this book did win awards, man. Yeah. I mean, it did do well, like in the literary circles yeah. that it got into. So you can't really knock it all too much if it's winning awards. And heck, man, even Will Wheaton narrated the audiobook yeah which is pretty sweet the yeah. audiobook came out on the same day the book was um released and the book references will wheaton 
and then Will Wheaton does the does the audio yeah. work. And so, for those who don't know Will Wheaton, you guys need to go check out Will Wheaton because he's he's the man. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, and, and I think too, like you you mentioned, he knew his target audience, and it did well with that audience as as well as I I think one of the examples that things like Ready Player One show, and I think things like. Percy Jackson, Harry Potter, these these books that just kind of come out of nowhere and that just seem to mm-hmm. land. And now I don't want to clump like Ernest Cline in with J.K. Rowling, okay? I, I okay, I I'm not trying to put their writing chops on the same level. But what attracts people to these stories is the suspense that you get while you're reading, right? How do you keep a reader engaged and you know, Ready Player One does a pretty good job about that. Even though you kind of know how it's going to end and you know where it's going, you yourself, you're trying to figure out the the puzzles and the riddles that come up throughout the story as, you know, the the character. Mm-hmm. Wade Watts is trying to figure it out. So that is fun in, it, in and of itself. And so I, I think what it kind of exemplifies is that you know, sometimes there is just a certain type of writing that's good, and that's consumer-level writing. Why Why is romance one of the top-selling mm-hmm. genres, right? It is totally written for the consumer in mind. They couldn't care less about the critics. I mean, unless it's a romance yeah. novel critic, right? Because, you know, a, a literary critic's not going to be holding a romance novel up to Charles Dickens, right? We're not, we're not, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's not the <laughs> point, you know? Um, right. And and I'll be, I'll be completely honest. I learned a lot of things from ready player one, a lot of things, right? There's a lot of information in there. So, so -hmm. I think there's a place for, for it. Um, but yeah, obviously the fact it was successful with consumers carried it a lot further than, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who probably loved ready player one who would say that Hemingway is an absolute bore. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, <laughs> like mm-hmm. so. So there's I something to that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, some interesting tidbits here. I wanted to get to just just a couple things. Um, so Oculus, the VR company, um, they have Ready Player One as required reading for their new uh, employees coming in. Wow. So they have to read about yeah. They have to read the story of Wade Watts, which. I guess they've also invited Klein out to do like book signings and they he's like demoed hardware. Um, he was in that one movie too, man, of uh, he was it was the documentary. I think it was this. He was in the documentary where they go looking for the E.T. video games that did you okay. ever watch that documentary or hear about that? Oh, my gosh, dude. So they. Will Wheaton is a part of it, of course, and they go. So the legend, you know about the legend of like the the worst video game ever made. I I do know about the E.T. game. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently they tried to bury E.T. because it was so bad. For those Mm. who haven't heard it, um, I mean, you can go online and look up the the story of it. But they tried to develop an E.T. video game. It was a terrible video game. So they tried to bury it in the desert. It was this legend that somewhere in a landfill in the desert, 
there's all these old ET games. And so I'm pretty sure Ernest Klein and Will Wheaton drive a DeLorean, of course, out to this site. Ridiculous. And they start digging for these video games. And so, but he's been in like documentaries and movies like that. So like, Mm -hmm. he's a pretty popular guy. Um, Yeah. He's, I mean, he's been interviewed by Fortune magazine. Um, A lot of people consider him, which I think this is fair, on the same level of like Stephanie Myers and Twilight. Uh, I would. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Like she wrote just, you know, a uh what what did she base that off of again it was off of um i didn't know she based it off anything wasn't oh no that was never mind that was 50 shades of gray is based off of twilight that's the that's oh. the the connection there uh no, that's, she, that's interesting like yeah you never heard that i didn't know that. you didn't know that i'm dude the the story is that 50 shades of gray started as a fan fiction and was developed as like more of an erotic fan fiction of Twilight. And so the two characters in that story are based off of Edward and Bella. Like they're basically them. I guess they were actually them in the fan fiction. And then she changed the names when she got like the book deal or whatever. I also could be completely off on this. So I, I'm pretty sure it was a fan fiction. I, I I do stand by that. That is interesting. But that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. But Stephanie So don't Myers, give up on your fan fiction, you everybody. Not, you yeah. you never know. Could get you a book deal. I think she and, is like, yeah, a huge hope for for fanfic writers. Yeah, seriously. It's to get that, that book deal. Yeah. F- mm-hmm. Have you ever read like this is totally off topic. You ever read like Lord of the Rings fan fiction? Ah, dude. There was a time in my life that I read a lot of fan fiction. Okay. I don't think I ever read Lord of the Rings, but I read a lot of Pokemon fan fiction. I read okay. a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction. Okay. And I'll tell you, dude, that well is deep. Yeah. That Harry Probably Potter... nowhere near as deep as the uh, Star Wars fan fiction. Well, no. that's a, that's about <laughs> yeah. as deep as it gets. You but gotta all, be careful. <laughs> I read some Tolkien fan fiction, and most of what I have read is that a lot of the fan fiction just really wants Tolkien to be an action book. Like, just, they really like the mm-hmm. orc killing in the fan fiction, so. Dude, they probably ever th- played those video games, man. That's what they... <laughs> That's right. They're like, That's I right. want it more like this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, it's... Uh, the more I read Lord of the Rings, the more I realize it's it's really a book about a lot of things, and the war is a footnote to <laughs> to what the book's really about. Not the emphasis, yeah. No, that's for all. sure. Yeah. But so yeah, he's uh Ernest Klein. Um he got a deal with Stephen King Stephen King. Whew. Steven Spielberg. He got a deal with Steven Spielberg to <laughs> come out with the 2018 movie Ready Player One, which I, I feel like a lot of people know the movie or have seen the movie than the book. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to hear, man, what were the differences? What did you think of the movie? Um, Cause you read the book and then saw the movie. I did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought some of the biggest differences between the book and the movie were, um, I think some character names were maybe even different. Um, 
Anyway, some of the big differences were one of the biggest things that stood out to me was, and of course you can't really do this as well in a movie. One of, one of the big things about Wade's character in the book was how he had some serious body image issues, right? He, in the books, he's, right. he's overweight, he's fat. And, and not only do I think that that is an important aspect of Wade's character, I also think it's an important aspect if we're going to see any type of dystopian theme in a virtual reality world. It's the fact that these people are so focused on their lives in the virtual reality, they really physically don't take care of themselves, right? Mm -hmm. They they don't really eat healthy, they don't have healthy sleeping habits, they don't, you know, they, they just don't yeah. live healthy lives, right? Because they are so into this virtual reality, it's so stimulating, it's better than real life, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that was, was different is that, so Wade, actually, when he finally gets into a little bit of money, he gets himself to where he's intentionally like exercising and working out every day, and, and I thought that that was one of the things in the story where you're seeing, like, legitimate character progression. And I know it seems like a small thing, right? Fat kid getting skinny. But mm -hmm. it's it's a small step in Wade being obsessed with everything inside the Oasis to starting to care about things outside of the Oasis, which is pretty much the point of the story, right? Is to begin to care about the things in the real world and not the things in the imaginary world, right? Which is why mm -hmm. the second book is such a travesty because the whole theme of the first one, it's just like, God, screw that! You know, we're, yeah. everyone's going to like virtual <laughs> reality again. We're going to make it better. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's one of the big differences. I think another difference is that um, I, I don't... I don't know what it is. I felt like uh, the story in the movie, it focused more on like pop culture in general. Like it had a very generalist pop culture feel to it more so than the book. Like like while the book does implement like things from modern pop culture and, and basically all things, video games mm -hmm. and all that, like the there was a huge focus on 80s pop culture, and I'm not sure a lot of that could have been licensing things, right? Like, yeah. all the Star Wars references and all of that isn't going to make it into a Universal film, right? All of the mm -hmm. all the stuff that Universal didn't have rights to, even with what they were able to include in the movie, I was like, man, that they must have had to shell out some, some serious cash to get some yeah. licensing for, just like to get the appearance of, of certain things in the, mm -hmm. in the movie. I thought it was pretty impressive. Um, but, and then for some reason, like the, the storytelling, it kind of felt to me in the film, it felt like it just, the characters never really developed. Um, and yeah. you could argue in the book that the character development isn't great, but I would say that at least the main character, Wade Watts, does go through enough character development to say like he actually went on a journey i feel like there's very little i feel like every character in the movie is flat like every character is is flat right they're on mm -hmm. an adventure they're going to succeed and the only redeeming thing at the end is you know maybe wade likes the oasis a little bit less at the end of the movie than he did at the beginning um one thing yeah. that i will say is uh, the villain in both the book and the movie is good. Um, but I mean, whenever you get Ben Mendelsohn to play a villain in a movie, it's 
just a good job. He's a good villain. Yeah. <laughs> like when I would it would be so weird to see him play a good guy at this point in his career, but Oh boy. Um, Typecasted. It's I mean, it's it's not like it's impossible, but he's played so many like good villains, right? He he was yeah. the villain in Rogue One, Ready Player mm-hmm. One, um, Captain Marvel, he was the voice of the villain. Like he he's yeah. he's just kind of the bad guy, man. I think he was in Dark Knight. Uh, too. Dude, he he knows his lane and he owns it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, man, what are some differences you noticed? So I never saw the movie, man. Oh, you never saw the movie? I, okay. No, I never saw the movie, but I heard about it doing fairly well. I actually talked to someone at work today because I was telling them we were doing this podcast tonight, and they were saying how they really liked the movie, but they kind of what you pointed out, like just they 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 noticed some differences, but they never read the book, so okay. they couldn't really speak to that okay. like like you could. But they they generally enjoyed the movie, and I think that was, that's been kind of the general consensus, man. Like it was a fun movie. Um, I think a lot of this happened really quick for Ernest Klein because mm-hmm. the book came out in 2011. I think in 2015 is when they started like really working on the movie. So just a couple, a few years later, he's already got a movie deal. And that's when Zach Penn, who was the screenwriter or helping Ernest Klein help write the the movie, suggested, hey, you should do a sequel. And mm. I don't know if there's anyone else in that room. Zach that Penn. Said, hey, man, maybe not. But he... He ran with it. He so he two years later confirmed that he has he had been working on Ready Player Two. And in between that, though, in between Ready Player One and Ready Player Two, I believe he came out with another book, though, called Armada. Yeah, I heard about that one. I almost picked that one up. It looked interesting. Um, It's kind of a reused uh storyline i think it's just this kid's playing a video game and the video game kind of tells him like hey you gotta save the world and so kind of through the video game he's got to save, save the real Earth, world man the real world yeah i mean ernest klein is gonna always tie in this like existential alien crisis into sounds like a uh, a copy of uh ender's game and there, i dude, i thought the same thing <laughs> when i read the that back cover the i'll say that Ernest Klein, whoever develops his book covers, does a great job. Like Ready Player One's book cover, like the the classic one, not like the updated one where you can see the stacks and all that, like the mm-hmm. where people live. But the old one looks very 80s. Mm-hmm. It's got like the 80s typeface and everything. Armada was very eye catching. And then even Ready Player Two, they use basically the same typeface as Ready Player One, but it's catching. And so yeah. you know what you're getting into. Um with like an Ernest Klein book. So I, I got to give him props on that. But Ready Player Two came out literally like three months ago or something like that, dude. Like it came out in November of last yeah. year during the pandemic. So I don't know if it was like the best timing for a Ready Player One sequel just because pandemic. And honestly, I'd forgotten about Ernest Klein because yeah. it's been nine years so he uh i did watch an interview though of him and people were asking him like man why did it take you so long it took you almost 10 years to write ready player two 
like I'm sure all the research that was done for Ready Player One was still kind of up in his head. So it wasn't like he had to do more research or like too much more. And his comment was, I'm not Stephen King. You can't expect me to write like at breakneck speed. And I feel like that's everyone's standard. That's a writer is Stephen King writes so prolifically like people just forget that normal writers usually take more than six months to come out with their next novel yeah. like a couple years i mean george r, r. martin bro we're still waiting okay yeah. and that book came out so long ago so i mean he i can't i don't even remember i was like 20 something 2015 or something like that is when dance with dragons maybe it's before that but I think it was before i think we were in college man was it college yeah so i think so I could Wait. be wrong, but I thought I thought it was when we were in college. It could be wrong. You might be but, right, man. Um, so it, it, yeah, go ahead. It, it, I mean, the sad thing about Ready Player Two, and, and I don't want to smash a guy's work too much who worked on it for a long time, but it, it's it's one of those things where I don't know everything I said complimentary about how the critics response to ready player one doesn't matter as much as the consumer response ready yeah. player two was not a great book for the consumer or the critic so it was just <laughs> like you know and, and it, i've talked to people who liked ready player two and for me i am never a fan i'm never a fan when a storyteller intentionally destroys their characters mm. i i don't like that and I know that a lot of this storytelling was intentionally because of socio-political climate. I know that for a fact. You can read it. You can see it. It's clear as day. And it's like you destroyed a lot of things that were likable about Wade Watch. You destroyed mm -hmm. a lot of things that were likable about the um, Anorak, whatever his real name yeah. is. Yeah. Like, I don't know why I can't remember his real name. Um, Who the James James Halliday? Halliday, Halliday. Yeah, that's what it is. James Halliday. Um, basically, turned both of those characters into unlikable characters. Like, like you, you know, I cannot stand when mm -hmm. I'm reading a book for hours on end and I can't stand the main character. Like, yeah, yeah. Like it's different. So I will say this, right? Like I just recently watched the movie There Will Be Blood. And if anybody watches that movie and you come away and you love the main character, you might need like some some <laughs> therapy, you know, like or something. Yeah. So you need yeah. some counseling. Mm -hmm. But like that I can understand. Like I can understand telling a story about a character's deterioration, but it was just like destroy the character at the beginning of the movie or book and then just like make him unlikable for the next 300 yeah. pages right and so it's just like uh and not even unlikable in an interesting way just mm -hmm. unlikable in an annoying way like he's useless he's useless yeah. in his own story right like <laughs> all this gunter knowledge that he had basically it's like it's like gray brain now in his head mm. he's he's forgotten more than he can remember and i get that right but i mean i have so many issues with the story um it's just like everything that was fun about ready player one is yeah. like like it it felt like you ever play Kingdom Hearts? I think I said this in my initial Ready Player Two review. You ever play Kingdom Hearts? Are you familiar with it at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. So, right, you go to a Disney planet and you basically mm-hmm. relive the story of Aladdin, right? And you're some mm-hmm. you're some weird character with big shoes named Sora and a, and a blade that's a key. Yeah. And and you run around with Aladdin and Goofy and Donald for some reason or another. Donald and Goofy were great side character choices. Um but <laughs> but you know, and you replay out Aladdin, but with like a little bit different things. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. things are a little different. And I swear that is, that's like, I don't know if Ernest Klein played Kingdom Hearts. I was like, <laughs> I want to do that yeah. with the 80s because there's, there's a prince planet. There's a, there's a, uh, a John Hughes planet. There is a, um, there's a Middle Earth planet. I don't I don't even know how he was oh, yeah. able to get the Tolkien estate to allow him to use Silmarillion content in his book. Yeah. Insane. I, I don't know if he just didn't care or <laughs> or if the Tolkien's really like Ernest Klein. Um I mean he's he doesn't go to the Middle Earth planet, does he? He just references it. No, it's they're totally there. Like oh it's a gosh, huge portion of the stories there. The whole story of Baron and Luthien plays out in in Ready Player Two. Oh, in Ready Player Two. Okay, I was like, I cannot remember that being in Ready Player One. Oh my gosh, dude. So okay, so there's some personal personal punches here thrown at you. I feel like because no, I thought that I actually thought the Middle Earth stuff was kind of cool because all of those references are things that that I like. But for me, it was just like okay, it's this really weird formula that it just stopped feeling creative, right? It was like, okay. let's go here, let's get the MacGuffin here because we need to have something 80s here. So, yeah. and then, don't even get me started on the Prince planet. And I like Prince's music, I'm a fan. But like, mm-hmm. I just thought this, this like this, I don't know, felt like it <laughs> took forever to read this chapter of just like you're in Prince land and... They got to face like a prince final boss and like all of the oh. prince forms. And it's just like, oh my gosh, dude. Like, no. Why does this exist? Why does it exist? Oh, that's um, that's bad, man. That's rough. And, and some of the best part, one of the best parts of Ready Player 2 is is on like an educational planet that's not even, <laughs> um, that's not even like 80s pop culture. It's like a unique yeah. oasis place. And that might have been like the best part of the story, which is ironic, um, because yeah, yeah, what yeah. makes the series so strong was the nostalgia, creative. but the originality was like a breath of fresh air, um, you know. And I, I, yeah, that's it. I'll stop knocking the book. I know I keep saying I don't want to knock it, and then I knock it, and then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's too hard. I know I dangled that in front of you, I know. but I know you have strong opinions about it. I know people that also read it have strong opinions about it um one last thing i want to mention about the characters before we kind of go on to our initial impacts and everything which we've kind of been given throughout um the podcast already is basically all the characters the main ones at least that get mentioned often are based on real people in life like real people that ernest klein either knew personally or it was a tribute to uh someone in nerd culture so like wade watts is just like basically ernest klein and all of his nerd friends just smashed together into one one character Mm -hmm. but um so nolan sorrento who's like the bad guy oh what it's like the bad guy Mm -hmm. 
he's based off of the founder of the Atari video game company. So what? his character, yeah, doing yeah, so it, doing him dirty, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, he said apparently he was like, "Yo, there's nothing personal. I see it more as a tribute." But I, I mean, dude, if you're a bad guy to book, it's like, geez, man. Like, I guess thanks, but should have been based. Like, I could Should have been based off the founder of Nintendo. Come on now, Nintendo. Yeah. Nintendo were the true bullies in the gaming industry. Yeah. So I mean, Artemis, um, the female Gunter. Uh, she's based off of like Ernest Klein and other geeks. Um, I don't know. You, you, if you go to the Wikipedia page, they have a whole list of characters that, um, it kind of gives you some background on like, this is what this person is based off of. And it's actually really cool. Like he really did his homework on kind of tying characters from the book to major or minor, but like reference to, like nerd culture in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just pretty yeah. cool. So he did like, they always say like, what's in a name for uh, like novels. Like he really did his research and made each of the names of his characters really meaningful yeah. and tied into something. So That's just wanted cool. to mention that because I do give him credit yeah. that his, his characters names are sweet. Yeah. And he made, he made Wade Watts. He wanted a superhero like name for his, uh, his main character. And, I think he did a pretty good yeah, job. Yeah, definitely. When I'm Wade Watts. So we'll move on to our initial impact, man. Um, even though I think we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but why don't you tell me a little bit about your initial impact? How did you experience this right off the bat? So this is this is kind of fun how I got into this. Um, my wife and I, we used to, we haven't done it in a long time. For us, and this might sound stupid, but uh, I love going to the bookstore. Like I love going to the bookstore. And when we were dating and in college, we would, on like a date night, just go to the bookstore, get coffee, maybe get a book, or just sit and chat. And so we were married at the time, and we just had a date night, and we're like, oh, what do we want to do for our date night? Parents have kids. What do you want to do? And it was just one of those things where it's like, let's go to the bookstore, you know? And and so we were there, we we got some coffee, chatted, talked, uh, I think we spent, you know, like 50 bucks on one of those Starbucks baked goods or whatever, or and, uh, <laughs> and so then we just went on to produce the bookstore and kind of just looked at stuff together, suggested books to one another we thought we would like. It, it's just mm-hmm. a good time, and I remember I walked out of the bookstore with Ready Player One. And uh, she walked out of the bookstore with, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, and I know to this day she hasn't read it. Um, oh, man, I can't remember what it was, but it was by Paulo Coelho, the... Uh, the Alchemist? The Alchemist author. It wasn't The Alchemist, because I have The Alchemist. Okay. Um, okay. And I love The Alchemist. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. books. Yeah. And... Um, I've told my wife, I was like, oh, you got to read The Alchemist. I mean, this is, you know, you're Brazilian. He's like Brazil's best author. You, you know, you you, you <laughs> like this guy. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that sounds terrible, I know. But, but yeah, the, uh, I get it. There is, there is cultural, like, loyalty, right? When you... Yeah. When you're from a different country living in the U.S., it's like, yeah, I still, I still got my, my home roots, right? 
And mm-hmm. so anyway, she grabbed that book, never read it. And and then I picked up Ready Player One and it did. Like when I first started reading it, I was like, man, I don't know if this is really grabbing me. And mm. so anyway, I knew I was going to read it. I was like, I got to read this. I want to see the movie, but I don't want to see the movie without reading the book first. Because one thing I hate is when you see the movie first and you're reading a book and you're just seeing the movie replay through your head as the story's going yeah. on. And I just, I hate when that happens, right? You feel a mm-hmm. little cheated from the the raw experience of the book. And so, anyway, we were going on a trip, we were going on vacation, and I had a bad tire. And so I had to get the bad tire replaced before we could drive out to Illinois, you know, f- you know, 500 miles or whatever. And so while I was there getting the one tire replaced, they're like, you really should get all four. And I was like, fine. Can I at least do the trip out there on these tires and just get them changed when I get out there? Because we really, you know, got to be on the road. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Your other tires are fine. The one tire, the bad tire yeah. had a bubble in the sidewall, which is, you know, pretty dangerous. And so mm-hmm. anyway, brought the book with me. And first day of vacation at my in-laws, I have to go get my tires changed. And that takes a couple hours. And mm-hmm. so I take my book with me, and I'm just like, I'm just going to sit here and read Ready Player One while I, you know, have my tires changed. I made it through most of the book. And <laughs> and I was totally into it. And I remember while I was sitting there reading it i came across the part in the book when he has to beat the high score in pac-man and i just Mm -hmm. remember reading that whole entire part and i was like how in the world is he making a game of pac-man interesting and i was actually really impressed by that i thought that that was that was a good part in the story i enjoyed it i enjoyed that he gets the coin for the extra life and you're kind of led to believe that you know well that was useless, right? Because he didn't get he didn't get a, yeah. a a key or an egg or anything, and and later on, later in the book, there's payoff to that event. As anyone who's familiar with storytelling, you know that that Pac-Man scene is not going to be totally useless, right? Otherwise, the storyteller mm-hmm. will get scorched up and down, yeah, uh, for taking you on a long adventure for nothing. But um, mm-hmm. I remember reading that and thinking, oh, man, that's that that's a great part. I loved it, loved how it all came together at the end. It basically saves him. And so the way that that's done in the film is just terrible. It's... Oh, no. He doesn't even play Pac-Man, doesn't go to the Pac-Man planet. None of it happens. What happens what? is the, the robot assistant guy just flips him like a coin, like a good luck coin or whatever. And that ends up being his extra life at the end of the movie. He gives him the coin like way early in the film and it's just like, oh no, that's how we did it. And I get it. You only have so much screen time. The you know yeah, but... the Pac-Man side journey just probably seemed unnecessary. And I just remember being so sad because I just remember sitting there in that <laughs> in that auto shop just reading about a Pac-Man game, feeling like, man, I'm a total nerd right now. Yeah. As you know, I'm not even changing my own tires. I'm sitting here reading a nerd book while <laughs> somebody else works on my car. But uh that was kind of that's one of my favorite stories from when I initially read the book and still really enjoyed it. 
uh, quite a bit. And it was funny because mm-hmm. when I was on that trip, found out that my brother-in-law had also read it. So we were talking about it, and and so that that made for oh, some good conversation. Awesome. But yeah, that's kind of my initial impact. Tire shop. Reading about Pac-Man, really disappointing when I didn't see it in the movie. <laughs> so awesome, man, that's a that's a good story to to have tied with that that book. <laughs> For me, man, it's uh this was actually a gift from one of uh, our friends from high school. Okay, um, went to Wheaton College, so he uh, he he like really got into reading um, a lot of like really profound books like really mm-hmm. heavy books so i'm talking like the brothers k talking like um you know pride not pride and prejudice but like charles dickens type mm-hmm. novels so like stuff that's really you gotta sit and think about and um so we were home i think over the summer and he's like hey i got you a, a gift and this was kind of out of nowhere like I, I'm all, I've always been a big reader, but he was like, I got you something. And so he got, he gave me and it was wrapped up and everything. And I was like, Oh, thanks man. And I could tell it was a book. And I was like, okay, this is going to be like a book. This is going to be a Hemingway type book. Like, you know, Nathaniel Hawthorne kind of book where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this, but like, I'll, like I'll do it for him. And so I open it up and I tear it open and it's ready player one. I was like, oh, I was like, I heard about this. Like NPR earlier had done like a like a segment on it. It was like, this is the hot new book right now. And so he's like, yeah, I heard it was really good. I haven't read it, but like it's about video games and stuff. And so I was like, oh, heck yeah, man. And so I got into it that day. And I remember reading pretty much half the book, kind of like what you do. I read like it reads so fast. Mm-hmm. is the thing. And for me, it really caught my attention early because I, like I said earlier, I'm a huge fan of 80s pop culture. I'm a huge fan yeah. of 80s culture in general. Yeah. Um. So right off the bat, like him talking about and referencing 80s culture and video games and movies, I was like, oh, yes, this is this is me. Like, I love this kind of stuff. And so the fact that he was also playing an MMORPG, which is basically the Oasis, um, mm-hmm. That was also the year that I really, really heavily got into World of Warcraft. And okay. I sank many nights into <laughs> that that video game where I would look out the window and I'd be like, well, oh, why is it getting light out? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's seven in the morning. Like I <laughs> just spent all night just smashing like toads uh, on right, a video yeah. game, <laughs> just grinding it out, man been killing boars forever (laughs) yeah so i really got into this because i mean he's he the main character is basically playing a mmo rpg and so i was playing one that summer and so i really saw myself connected in that weird way Mm -hmm. um but yeah so i i remember reading and just getting through that book extremely fast it's one of the fastest books i've ever read um, because it, like we said earlier, it just, it just moves it. It's a lot of telling rather than showing, but, mm-hmm. um, I just, I remember being really charmed with it. 
Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed, like I keep saying, the 80s culture. I'm trying to think of a moment that really stands out. And it's hard because, I mean, this was 10 years ago is when I read this book. And so I just remember him. I remember one of my favorite parts of the book was when he finally got all his upgrades. And I know a little bit of a spoiler, okay. but yeah, yeah. he finally gets the best of the best equipment. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember because he's playing with that janky like right, yeah, yeah. whatever the whole time it was like you know playing with the, the sticky controller against yeah. like everyone else who's got like their own like wireless <laughs> controller so like he uh he finally gets like all the high-tech stuff and he can like really play the video game and i remember thinking like man i always wanted to be that guy like it's cool that ernest klein kind of wrote that into his novel because every kid growing up if they see that their friend has upgrades on their character, they want those upgrades, even if they got to pay for them. And then right. it's like, oh, this is a hundred bucks. Like, I'm not going to buy this skin for my character. Yeah. But Wade Watts got to buy all the best stuff and then yeah, got even better at the game. And so I remember that part really well. That's kind of about the time he's like really getting into shape and like mm-hmm. kind of really, it, it is a distinct moment. Probably I remember it 10 years later because it's, one of the only times in the book that the character actually moves from just being where he is at the beginning of the book. And this comes Mm -hmm. (laughs) like near the end. So he, uh, yeah, that, that part really stuck out to me. I don't really remember the planets all that much. I remember them spending a really long time on the first clue. And so I thought it was Mm going to be a really long book because the first clue takes them i think in the book time like three years or something like that like it's a long time yeah holiday comes out with the easter egg hunt and then years go by and no one has Mm -hmm. figured it out and so i thought the book kind of like how i thought the seventh harry potter book was going to be was like oh there's seven horcruxes this will take a while nope Mm -hmm. (laughs) so they they kind of move through the book but I, I remember reading that summer and now anytime I see Ready Player One or read, not read it, but like see the book on my shelf or saw that the movie was coming out or Ready Player Two coming out, um, I always think of that friend now because yeah. it was a gift from him and one of my favorite books that's ever been gifted to me. So nice. Thank you, friend. Nice. If you're listening to this, you know who you are. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. So let's move into our lasting appeal. Let's wrap this puppy up. How's this impacted you, Cody? How are you still enjoying? I mean, I know Ready Player Two. We yeah, <laughs> impacted yeah. you still. <laughs> yeah. So as far as like the lasting appeal of this, I this you know Ready Player One is the type of book I would say. Um, someone comes up to me being like, "Hey, you know, I kind of want to get into reading." And if it's someone who says they like video games or they like 80s culture or they like science fiction, this is instantly like going to be a recommendation for me. Easy read, can get you into reading. The audiobook is is narrated by Will Wheaton, so if you're an audiobook person, you can know that it's going to be pretty good. And and I think for me, it's, it's just one of those books. It's nice to have a book that's like, hey, someone wants to just kind of get into reading and, you know, build into eventually be reading like those Brothers K types of books, right? And you got to start with something that you like, right? And mm-hmm. and so this book to me is kind of like a step up from recommending a comic book, right? Like a comic book or a graphic novel, <laughs> like, hey, I'm not knocking it. 
you know, because no, no, yeah. I love no, it's a very good. Uh, I, I yeah. love graphic novels, but there's a lot of people who only want to read graphic novels or comic books. They don't have any interest in like, uh, y- you know, no picture mm-hmm. reading. I, yeah, it sounds degrading, but that's not what I mean. Um, you know, but anyway, it's kind of like a step up from that, like a light, a young adult, adult fiction type of book. Right. Where yeah. I would put it in the same type of category as, you know, like, for example, if someone wanted to get into the Twilight books or um, it's a beach book, man. Yeah, it's, it's a, a beach, beach book, you know, hunger vacation book, hunger games, you know, kind of in the same category, yeah. uh, even though I Ooh. could never finish the hunger games. Uh, because oh. because I saw the movie and I was like, well, I know how it ends. You know, it's like uh, it feels like you did the right thing. Man. It feels like I one of those fun. books where if you kind of know how it ends, you you don't need to finish it. Um, I have very low opinion of the Hunger Games. I know you know you're no fan. You know you no. basically called Suzanne Collins a trash writer on this podcast. Before. <laughs> I do not want. <laughs> oh good. man, I hope Suzanne Collins reads one of your books. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I would love if she left a review. <laughs> she just reads like a scathing review. Like, I'll be like, she read my book. I came up with the concept of children's gladiator <laughs> arena. This guy is writing scary stories for kids. Been doing that for hundreds of years. <laughs> I would be honored. I would be honored. Uh, but anyway, that's kind of like my lasting appeal of it. A lot of the things that I have written down here, I already said. My yeah. my qualms with uh, <laughs> Ready Player Two and the Kingdom Hearts thing. Um, yeah. But I don't think Ready Player Two took away from Ready Player One. I can definitely compartmentalize and separate those two things. Enjoy Ready Player One yeah. and never touch Ready Player Two again. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's awesome, man. <laughs> Ready Player One for me, I have not thought of this book until it came out and then Ready Player Two came out. But I will say when I hear about it or when I saw Ready Player Two was coming out, I have good memories of reading this book. It is, like you said... A book that I think I too would recommend. If someone wanted to get into science fiction, I would either recommend like a Ray Bradbury book, like Martian Chronicles or something, to not because I think science fiction can sometimes take itself too seriously. And we, I know we did a whole podcast on the science fiction genre and mm-hmm. like some of those powerhouse writers, man, like they're awesome. They changed the, genre forever but they're also kind of dry man at times mm. like they're yeah, not sure they're not interesting i'll be the first admitted as someone who loves science fiction like like a heinlein book sometimes or like a robert heinlein book is just not doesn't do it for me but right the science fiction the pop science fiction genre especially ready player one gets you excited it gets you excited mm-hmm. and it gets you reading and mm-hmm. if someone was like ah, i kind of want to read this i would or i want to get into science fiction i would probably recommend this of being like listen this mm-hmm. is not going to define the genre at all but yeah, it is absolutely a good introduction 
to what science fiction can be. Take you, I mean, it's got it all. It takes you to different worlds. It's got creatures. It's got everything you would want with a science fiction novel and an easy storyline to follow. It's not dealing with crazy um, concepts. It's not dealing with really difficult concepts. It's just it's this is the story. It's fun. Follow along. Then I yeah. would probably recommend Ender's Game. But interesting. I, I really dude, I was we'll have to do a podcast on that, dude, because I I have good memories of Ender's Game. I love Ender's Game. However, it's the type of book that I read and I'm like, I'm just not sure it's for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I don't it probably isn't, but it's also one that has a great ending. It's got a great ending. I did not see it coming that, when I read the, it. Ender's Game made me very emotional at points. Mm-hmm. Like, and I I like when a story can do that. Like, I really, I really felt terrible for Ender in many points in the story. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you're immediately sympathetic to him at the beginning. Yeah, like yeah, the way his brother treats him and everything. You're just mm-hmm. like, oh man, this guy's got a rough. Yeah, and just like the the violence in the book is mm. unsettling. It's unsettling violence, which I know a lot of people have knocked the book for being too violent, and it's like, well, I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. Right? Like, yep. you know, it's not supposed to make you comfortable. Violence should never make you comfortable. Violence is something that we use in entertainment to bring action and tension to scenes, but I think a lot of times we don't take it as serious as violence is in, like, real life, right? Yeah. Like... Yeah, people like, are think jarred about, by it in real life. Think about like you're just walking down the street one day and like Marvel movie action is happening before your eyes. You're probably traumatized. You are like, terrified. What in the world is going on right now? <laughs> you are terrified. You know? But yeah. we just watch it and just like with the popcorn. It's like, this is amazing. I Give me more. It. You know? Explosions. But anyway, sorry to interject there. But yeah, Ender's Game is one. I recommend it to somebody and I and kind of thinking like, you know, they've done Ready Player One. I thought maybe Ender's Game is the next step. I think Ender's Game might just it's That'd a different pace. Mm. It's a, it, it it's is. not like it's too much. It's a much different pace. Like if you yeah. go from reading Ready Player One to Ender's Game, you're like Is anything happening ever? When is this <laughs> yeah. book gonna start? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> yeah. It's a character heavy book, whereas yeah. whereas Ready Player One is a just pure plot yeah in ender's game definitely it 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 takes the approach of like hey we're gonna throw a lot of things at you that you're not gonna know what's going on initially and we'll definitely tell you what's going on eventually but we want you to think about it you're gonna have to work for it yeah you know yeah so yeah but we'll have to do ender's game we'll have to do ender's game do we'll have to do dune Now I'm so glad I've awesome. never seen the Ender's Game movie either. Do you see the Ender's no, Game? No, I never saw it. Yeah. I never saw it. It has Harrison Ford in it, though. I love him. I feel like that would be such a hard, be a hard book to make into a movie because I don't, I don't know if you could do the story the same way in a visual way. You know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I think some of the well, it's yeah. A lot of it's, I mean, a lot of those books too, like those old science fiction books are like, they deal with the abstract, like the mm-hmm. feelings and like the, the, especially like a Dune where it's like all cognition and like you're, 
like thoughts influencing your body and other people. Like it, I just feel like all the old science fiction books are really cerebral and really mm-hmm. abstract. And so to bring yeah. that to the main screen, it's probably why like the foundation series by Isaac Asimov has never been done. Cause it's like this, <laughs> what would we even write? Like what would we even hey, show a bunch of people? We got around. iRobot. We did get iRobot, we which got was iRobot, nothing man. like actually <laughs> iRobot. They're like, Oh, we'll take the name and the concept. <laughs> But then, like, we're doing our own plot. I mean, Will Smith plus Shia LaBeouf, what can go wrong? I mean, that's (laughs) just a recipe for success, especially in the early 2000s. Oh, I know. Those two were crushing it. Absolutely. I love that movie, by the way. Oh, it's a great movie. I love that movie. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing like the actual book, so that's probably why it's an awesome movie. (laughs) Because the book is, the story is kind kind of boring, but... So is a lot of what he writes, but it's it's good stuff, though. It's good yeah. stuff. Anything else, man, for Ready Player One? Um, No, I would say go check it out. If you haven't read it, I would read check it before it seeing the movie because it's a lot of fun, and you just you get so much in it. There's, I mean, props to Ernest Klein. He, he really did his homework. I mean, he really references lots of, people that were in the pop culture industry or in the tech industry in the 80s that like you you actually learn while you're mm-hmm. reading which yeah i mean you you always kind of learn when you read a book but this is like oh wow i'm learning about like nerd culture and that's always fun mm-hmm. so yeah i uh i highly recommend this book i i wouldn't listen to the critics go yeah. out buy it have a good time yeah. with it I recommend it as well. Buy it, get it from your library, whatever. Get your hands on it, read it, or listen to the audiobook, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, hey, that's going to wrap it up here. We are almost at two hours. We want to thank you guys all for listening. And be sure to head over to steellakestudio.com. And while you're there, Zach, what should they be checking out? Yo, first of all, check out Something Strange at Grandma's House. But sure. while you're over on there, check out the community tab. Hit us up, Steel Lake Studio. Any questions you got? If we messed up anything, I'm sure the the Potterheads are still coming at us from. They're coming at us. Yeah. Four weeks ago, whatever it was. <laughs> like, if you guys got stuff that we messed up that we need to correct, yeah. like, hit us up. We'll correct it. We'll talk to you. We love connecting <laughs> with you guys. So. Just wait till we get some of the longer books, man. This is gonna be a travesty. <laughs> I know. That's why we we only come out with it every like six months because we kind of got to recover from the yeah. last time that we messed everything up. i mean i know that i've spent you know days in prayer leading up to harry potter podcast just, <laughs> can, just get my soul so ready for... <laughs> i know but uh-huh. you guys get on over there hit us up let us know what you're thinking let us know what you think of the podcast any ideas we love connecting with you guys yeah Yeah, you all are the best. Thank you so much for listening. We're signing off for now. We'll talk to you next time on Parallel Quest. Bye-bye. Bye.